Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Bible school. We uh, decided not to go all out. I thought about that. I thought about maybe telling you when you came in today that this is the new design for the sanctuary. How do you like it? <laughs> so welcome. Uh, you can pray for our family this uh, today especially, but uh, my son-in-law right now is getting ready to get on a plane. He's being deployed to Kuwait for the next 10 months. So uh, you can just pray for our family today. Is kind of, and we do have celebrities in the crowd. So Simon and Ellie are here. That's my grandkids. They are celebrities. You can wave at everybody. They're a little shy right now. So years ago, uh, I was in grad school, and we were living in a little town called Olathe, Kansas, and that's on the Kansas side just south of Kansas City. If you have ever lived in Kansas City, you know you have to designate, are you on the Kansas side or Missouri side? So it's a Kansas side, a little south in Johnson County, Olathe, Kansas. And on Sundays, we like to go to this little place for lunch. It was a Chinese buffet. Because when you're young, buffets are very appealing. You understand what I'm saying? And it was fascinating little Chinese, very authentic food in Olathe, Kansas. And so on the buffet, you could get yourself some chow mein, you could get yourself, you know, some egg foo young, and then you could have some green beans and mashed potatoes and gravy. And I always thought, at what point did somebody come in and say, you know, if you're going to survive here in Olathe, Kansas on Sunday afternoon, you better have some mashed potatoes and gravy, because no matter what sign you have out there, they're going to need that. And we would participate in that, you know, put a little gravy over your orange chicken, you know, why not? It's just a a potpourri of food there on the plate. And I think as you get older, you're not as drawn to buffets. They're not as appealing to you because you don't want that mishmash on your plate. You want an organized meal that has some theme. You understand what I'm saying? How many of you are old enough to appreciate what I'm saying? Okay, because there's still people that are like, no, more is always better. I don't care what it is, just put it all on there, barbecue right on top of the hamburger, that'll work. But as you get older, you're like, you know, just give me an organized meal of my favorite things. That's all I want on my plate. Just put a steak on there and a baked potato and a salad, maybe some bread, we'll need butter. But, but right there is what we got going on. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. It's what I like. It's what I understand. It's familiar to me. It's comforting to me. And I think that happens to us intellectually. I think when we're young, we have like, we just go through the buffet. We're just slopping things on the plate. We're thinking about all kinds of stuff. But as we get older, we're like, I just want to know. And I just want on my plate the things that I'm familiar with. I want my favorite things. I don't want to be challenged very much. I don't need to try to eat gravy on my chow mein. I don't need all that kind of craziness. I need a simple, sort of straightforward way of thinking. And I think that makes us intellectually lazy as a culture. We we look at the, we are inundated with information. 
Amen? I mean, it's coming at us like 9,000 miles an hour. And so what we do is we just look for the little tasty thing that's familiar to us, and that's what we eat. And so what we're talking about is the antidote for dysfunction that is consequences. And there's a relationship between our choices and the consequences. But as a culture, we're not super happy about that idea. We're a little uncomfortable with it. In fact, we we do several things that sort of mitigate against having to sort of inherit our consequences. Now, let's be honest. Just because you make all the right choices doesn't mean you get all the right outcomes. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. And by the way, this sermon is not going where you think it's going. Because many of you have already decided if you're for it or against it. Because you don't want to eat at the buffet. (laughs) You've already decided what your favorite meal is, and that's the only one you want to eat. And so if you're worried that I might say something you don't like, put gravy on your chow mein, just relax. Just relax. Consequences. I think in our culture we do several things that kind of, you know, mitigate against inheriting our consequences. Listen to this first from Ralph Marston. Consequences are superb teachers. Their lessons touch you profoundly, and they stay with you for life. Many of the abstract concepts you come across are quickly forgotten, but the consequences you experience are nearly impossible to forget. Through consequences, you learn in a personal, meaningful way. You learn what works and what doesn't. Through consequences, you learn what's important and why. Both the painful consequences and the joyful ones are quite memorable. Most importantly, not only do you remember the consequences, you also remember what specific thoughts and actions brought you to them. You have the magnificent ability to make things happen, to create your own consequences. The more you learn from the experience of your consequences, the more reliably you're able to create the precise outcomes you desire. Everything you do has a consequence, and every consequence has a lesson. Learn well and create all the best you can envision. Now... When we read things like that, we're like some of us are going, yes, consequences. And others are going, well, wait a minute. You said you can control the outcomes if you had, and that has not been my experience because I've done a lot of good things and I didn't get the good. And this is a hard conversation. It's a hard conversation. And and, and because it's a hard conversation and because 100% of the time, if you work hard, you don't get the outcome or the consequence that you necessarily deserve, We've sort of thrown this concept out the window a little bit. So now it doesn't really matter what we do. But that really isn't true, is it? While we may not always get what we deserve, or thank God, may we, you know, still it's good to live with good choices. It's good to make the best possible choices. Most of us in our culture today are not very honest about consequences. Let me give you a a, a neutral example. Politics. (laughs) I mean, have you ever heard a politician get up and say, you know what, let's be honest with each other, that idea I had didn't work out very well. You ever heard that? No. It's like that old Lucy show, you got some splaining to do. And boy, do they splain. Amen? And that's true in our culture We're not very honest about choices and outcomes. We always have a way of explaining why the outcome wasn't quite what it should. It wasn't the choice. It wasn't a bad idea. It wasn't a bad choice. Just some other things happened and it didn't turn out quite right. And when we disconnect consequences from choices, chaos ensues. 
Because now we, we just kind of feel like it doesn't matter what we choose. We can do anything we want. Number two, as a culture, we're far more focused on the immediate need than we are on the long-term consequences. I've come to believe this. I believe that there's sort of a, a double arc in the reality of how you and I live and choose. And on this lower arc, there is the reality of the people I know and the personal choices and what's going on and these. And, and how I live down here in this arc, it, 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 you know, it's a day-to-day thing and it's very personal. I know the names of these people. But there's another arc, and that is, what does this mean to the good of humanity? What does it mean 10 years from now or 20 years from now? And just so we know, none of us really know that. <laughs> and so we live in these two arcs in our culture today. But we live in a culture that says, let's do this immediate thing, and let's pay no attention to this bigger arc of what the implications might be in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. Let's just immediately do what's most comfortable, easiest which kind of leads to the third reason we don't really celebrate consequences in our culture, and that is because we're much more into instant gratification than into long-term gain. And that's true of all of us, isn't it? All right, I can wait you out. (laughs) Most of us are into instant gratification over long-term gain. Let's talk about dieting. Is it more fun to be disciplined for a long time, weeks and weeks at a time, passing by the things that make life worth living, gravy on your chow mein? (laughs) Or is it more fun to have an ice cream sundae? And our culture lives in this process. We all have the tendency to go for the instant fix, for the easy thing versus the long-term thing. All of these things sort of mitigate against our consequences. Robert Louis Stevenson says this, Sooner or later, everyone sits down to a banquet of their own consequences. Charles Stanley says, People don't like the idea of consequences. They want to be able to live their life freely and do what they want without any consequences. And we know that that's just not the way life works. So to think for a minute about consequences. Consequences are a pretty good antidote for dysfunction. In doing a little research about it, I found out that it turns out that, you know, this is sort of cutting-edge technology when it comes to handling children. Amen? That choices have consequences. Is this groundbreaking information? No. So, uh, in doing the research, I found out there's three basic ideas that we try to convey as we talk about consequences. The first one is there's something called natural consequences. And natural consequences means if you do that, this will happen. So things like if you touch the stove, you'll get burned. It's not real profound. It's not deeply complicated. It's not even controversial. It's just a natural consequence. You know. The second layer of consequences are called logical consequences. And that means based on what we've learned from natural consequences, we can now project into logical consequences. That means if I did this, then this would be more likely to be the outcome. If I study for the test, I am likely to learn things and make a better grade. Wow. Is this all remedial work for you all? You all already know this information? I was the only one that was like, wow, this is really good. Logical consequences. The third one is problem solving. 
And in problem solving, we synthesize our understanding of natural consequences and logical consequences to now put to work our collective power as a group of people, two, three, five, seven individuals, to say, how can we solve the problem? Based on what I learned from natural consequences and logical consequences, what is the best way to solve this problem? What is the best way for us to move forward? All based on this logical process of cause and effect, of I did this and this is what turned out. So let's talk for a minute about Joseph and his family. When we left Joseph and his family, Joseph had just been promoted to second only to Pharaoh in the kingdom of Egypt, and he is beginning to administrate this plan of seven years of abundance and then seven years of famine. And we're told that in the seven years of abundance, there is so much abundance that finally all the storehouses are filled that everything is overflowing, and we're told this little tidbit of information. There is so much abundance that Joseph stops keeping records, that all the ledgers are full and overflowing. And the seven years of abundance come to an end, and the seven years of famine begin. And it's not very long into the seven years of famine that over in Canaan land, over where Jacob and the brothers are living, they are beginning to starve. So Jacob calls his sons together, and he says to them, I want you to go to Egypt. I hear there's food there. Here's some money. I want you to go buy grain there and bring it home. And they say, okay, we're going to pack up and go. And, and Jacob says, but you can't take Benjamin with you. I've already lost one son, and if I lose Benjamin, I, I'm not going to make it. I won't survive. You other ten brothers are expendable. <laughs> Do you get that piece of the story? I mean, for the other ten standing there, they got to be going, so I can go. It's, it's okay if I don't come back, but, but Benjamin would be the deal breaker. Okay. So the ten brothers pack it up, and they head for Egypt. And as soon as they arrive, Joseph recognizes them, but of course, they don't recognize Joseph. And so Joseph now is going to mess with them. So they gather together, and they come before Joseph, and he says, you guys are spies. I can see it. I can smell it on you. You're spies. I know you are. And they're like, no, no, we're not. Well, tell me about yourself. Well, we come from Canaan land. Well, who's your dad? His name's Jacob. Is he still alive? Yeah. Is he okay? Well, he's old. And what else? Well, we have a brother back there. His name's Benjamin. He's the youngest of the group. All right. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. To prove that you are not lying, I want you to go back and bring Benjamin to me and prove to me that you are not spies. Oh, we couldn't do that. Our dad wouldn't. He wouldn't like that. We already lost one son. You can sort of gloss over that. We already lost one son. We couldn't lose another, they say. And he says, well, let's see how you feel after you spend a little time in jail. So he throws all his brothers in jail. And they're there for three days, we're told. And then Joseph comes to them and he says, listen, I'm a, I'm a God-fearer. And it doesn't seem fair to keep all of you in jail like this. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let nine of you go back. And I'm going to let you take the grain with you. But one of you has to stay here. Wouldn't that have been an interesting conversation? And somehow they designate Simeon. And so Simeon is bound in front of them and carried back to jail, and the other nine head back to their father with sacks full of grain. 
When they stop for the night, they open their sacks of grain and they find the silver inside the sack. The silver that was supposed to pay for the grain. And they say this now for the first time. God's getting even with us. This is about Joseph. This is about what we did all those years ago to Joseph. These are the consequences of our poor choices. And God's getting even with us. Now you would think that what they would do is pack up and go back to Egypt. But that is not what they do. They go on home. And for some period of time, we're not really told how long, they eat. In fact, they eat until all the food is gone and they are once again starving. Seems starvation is a pretty good motivator for change. And they come to Jacob and they say, listen, we are out of food and our children are starving and we need to go back. And he says, okay, why don't you take some money and take some of the best things we have to offer here, the honey and and pomegranates and all that stuff, and go back and and get some food. And they go, well, wait, just technicality. If we don't bring Benjamin back with us, he's going to think we're spies and we're all going to end up in jail. And after some wrestling match with Jacob, he finally comes to the point, and, and, it, and it gets weird. It's a weird conversation. Reuben stands up at one point and says, listen, I'm going to take personal responsibility for Benjamin, and, and, and I'm going to go, and if I don't bring him back safely to you, you can kill my two sons. It's a weird conversation between people. And then finally they say to Jacob, okay, here's the deal. We won't go back. We'll just all stay here and die together of starvation. At which point now, wise father Jacob says, all right, all of you go. Take Benjamin. If he dies, then I'll die. Just go, whatever. I give up. Everything's against me. He actually says those words. Everything's against me. Nobody likes me. You know, mature, patriarch. And off they go to Egypt. And when they arrive, it's a very different kind of reception. They're escorted to Joseph's private home, and a meal has been prepared for them. And we're told that they're seated from the oldest to the youngest. And they begin to serve the food. And when they come to Benjamin, he receives five times the serving. Because he's young, and he can eat like that. (laughs) And he begins to talk to them and question. He has Simeon brought, and, and they're having this discussion, and they're talking over things. And everything seems to be healed up, and everything's okay and they're talking among themselves, and they don't know that Joseph understands what they're saying. And eventually they get ready with their new stuff, and now Simeon and Benjamin, and they're all loaded up, and they're ready to go back to Canaan land. And Joseph calls one of his servants over, and he says, take my silver cup and put it in the sack of the youngest brother. A day's journey on the way, they send, he sends his guards, and they say to them, you've stolen something personal from Joseph and they're like no no we wouldn't do such a thing we're not those kind of people (laughs) we're just not those kind of people and then they make this big proclamation you just search us and whoever has that cup they can be put to death for what they've done and so the search begins and of course when Benjamin's sack is open the cup is found and they're devastated They're absolutely devastated. They're drugged back to Egypt. They're drugged back before Joseph. He says to them, how could you do such a thing? Oh, we didn't do it. We don't know. And then finally they say, this is is our punishment. This is the consequence of those choices we made all those years ago. And now God's messing with us. He's messing with us. 
And Judah approaches Joseph, and he says, listen, let me tell you the whole story. We've already lost a brother, kind of glosses over that. But our dad, he's super connected to this kid. And if we don't bring this kid home, then, then our dad is going to die. It's going to be the end of his life. It's going to break his heart. He's not going to be okay. So take me. You get the cycle of that? <laughs> so take me. Let him go and take me. I'll stand in his place. I'll leave my wife and my kids and my grandkids, and I'll take his place. You send him home. And we're told that at this moment now, Joseph has to leave the room. He breaks down weeping. There's this moment now of reconciliation. He comes back. He reveals himself. There's a great reunion. There's a great celebration. So much of a celebration that Pharaoh hears about it. And he says, hey, I didn't even know you had a family. <laughs> this is awesome. Where are they? Oh, they're over in Cana, you know. Bring them. Bring them. We'll set aside the finest land in all of Egypt for you and for your family and for your father's flocks and for all your, all your brothers and, and, and sister-in-laws and nephews and nieces, all of Just bring all of them, and they'll have the choicest land. So I want to highlight three things to you. Number one, Joseph reaps the benefit of his good choices. We've we got to see that in the story. This is a guy that, that he starts out a little rocky. There's not tons of wisdom going on there. He, he, he kind of is a part of the dysfunction, but, but he learns pretty quickly, and he gets it together, and, and he has the right attitude and the right spirit, and he continues to make good choices. And I don't know about you, but if my life had gone the way Joseph went, my brothers would have sold me into slavery, and then I would have gone to Potiphar's house, and then Potiphar's wife would have accused me falsely, and I got thrown in prison. Oh, oh, oh. I would not have had a good attitude. And I don't think I would have put two and two together. I think I would have had the opposite feeling. I would have said, doesn't matter what good choices I make, it all turns out for crap anyway. Amen? None of us have ever said that. But Joseph continued to make good choices. He made good choices every day. Got up every day and said, I'm going to make good choices. I'm going to have the right attitude. I'm going to stay committed. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to have... I'm going to have a good attitude and make right choices right here in this prison, though I cannot imagine how making good choices in this environment is going to have any effect on my future at all. Amen? But I'm going to make good choices anyway. And he did. And those good choices led to better choices. And those better choices ultimately led to his... Re he couldn't have known that in that prison that these people he were talking to were going to be the key to his restoration. But he made good choices anyway. He made good choices anyway. Number two, there were poor choices. The brothers made very poor choices. And those poor choices had deep consequences. I'm trying to imagine their life and how they lived and what was going on in their hearts and minds and spirit all of those years. They carried around that guilt and that shame and that story and that lie it couldn't have been very pleasant. And then every single thing that happened to them in life that wasn't good, they blamed it on the fact that they had made such bad choices in the beginning. It just haunted them. It just haunted them. And good choices have better outcomes. And poor choices led those guys to a place where they didn't have any good choices. We can all stay in prison. We can leave Benjamin. We can leave Simeon. We, we can starve to death. Our poor choices have led us to a place we don't have very many choices. Now listen, I know that this is not always true. 
but it mostly is. Amen? Good choices lead to better outcomes. We should be more enthusiastic about that. Because as hard as it is, that is controversial in our culture. Good choices, most of the time, lead to better outcomes. And poor choices, most of the time, lead to worse outcomes. Point number three. But God has grace. And we don't usually have to bear the brunt of the consequences of our choices. By the grace of God. Has there ever been a story like this? I I, I mean, what would seem appropriate is that Joseph would have said, all right, you guys can come live here, but you're going to have to serve some time in prison. What would be appropriate is for him to say, yeah, okay, there's some, there's some cost attached to what you've done and to the choices you've made and to how you disrupted my life. But that is not what happens in this story. This story gets weird right here. There is a, re- a reunion. There's a reconciliation. There is this moment where Joseph throws his arms around his brothers and they weep together and they let the past be the past. And, and, and somehow by the grace of God, they are embraced in this moment. And Joseph, who has this powerful position in Egypt, now welcomes his brothers into the chosen land, into this place where they have the choicest land, they have the choicest food, they have the best life. Now, their ancestors aren't going to do as well. But right now, (laughs) right now, the grace of God has intervened. Now, here's why that matters so much. I find that in my journey, I've come to understand this about people. Some of us in this room and online act out. We do stuff. We do stuff. We get mad or we get hurt or we get wounded and we make bad choices. We actually do things wrong. Some of us in this room act up. We don't do anything. We just have a terrible attitude. I'm so glad I'm not like them who act out. I don't act out. In fact, I figured it out. I have answers, not questions. These people have questions, no answers. I got answers. I got answers for questions people aren't even asking me. In fact, (laughs) if you give me a minute, I'll give you some answers. Amen? Both are sin. I didn't hear any amens to that. Because pride, judgment, gossip, grumbling, criticism is a sin. Just as much as the acting out, the acting up is a problem. But God meets us in grace. And not many of us get exactly what we deserve, thank God. Now we notice when we do good and we don't get rewarded, but we don't notice as much when we do bad and we don't get punished. We don't notice that as much. And this is what matters. God is for you, not against you. 
He is for you, not against you. In all things, in all things, God works for the good of those that love him and are called according to his prayer. Even Paul said, I don't understand what I do. The thing I want to do, I don't do. The thing that I don't want to do, I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me? Thanks be to God who gives us grace in Christ Jesus because we need it. And if you drug yourself in here this morning thinking about dysfunction and you saw consequences, you go, I'm going anyway, but I'm not going to like this sermon. (laughs) I'm just kidding. None of you knew what I was going to talk about. You didn't even look. (laughs) We'll just see what happens. (laughs) Woo! think about dysfunction, we think about consequences, I want you to remember this. Wherever you've been and whatever happened, by the grace of God, when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is a heritage that is good news. And I invite you this morning as we kind of close this service to just receive the blessing. God is for you. He's not against you. In all things, He's working for your good. Wherever you've been, whatever happened, whatever shame you carry, whatever guilt, whatever pride, whatever whatever gossip, whatever criticism, whatever judgment, this would be a good place to leave it. This would be a really good place to leave it. And to remember that poor choices usually lead to poor outcomes and good choices usually lead to better outcomes. But thank God there is grace in all of the outcomes. God, would you please help us? Even as we think again about this blessing, I pray that it's not just a closing song, but that we would literally receive it. Maybe hold out our arms and hands and admit and confess how much we need the blessing. In the midst of good choices and poor choices, and all of us have had a fair share of all of those, Remind us that we're not supposed to be intellectually lazy. We're supposed to think well and not just eat the same old comfortable meal day after day and week after week, but but every once in a while we've got to lift our heads and think in big picture and long term and love people in the short arc, but love people in the long one too. So help us. I pray your grace over all of those who gather in this place, those that are online with us this morning, those that will watch through the course of this week. Do your work in us. Teach us to be the people you have called and created us to be, to be the kingdom of God alive on earth. Protect us in this week ahead. Bless Vacation Bible School. It's going to be a wild ride with almost no place to put all of these kids and all of these workers. We're going to do it anyway, and we're going to honor you with it, and we're going to ask you to bless it. Now, Would you speak your grace and blessing over every single life and heart represented in this place? I pray it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and everybody said together. Will you stand as we receive the blessing? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.